I'm delighted to welcome to the HBA podcast studio today, Alex Bloom and Peter Lyons, respectively the CEO and CIO of Atomic Capital. Atomic is a startup financial institution dedicated to the emerging security token market, and it is split up into three lines of business, advisory, broker-dealer, and investment bank capital raising. Today, we're going to try and accomplish two things. First, we're going to walk through the basics of security tokens, i.e., what are they, how are they sold, and how are they traded. Second, we're going to use this technological innovation as a launching pad for a more philosophical conversation related to global inequality, disruption, decentralization, and even anarchism. Both Alex and Peter have deep experience in the global nonprofit NGO sector, Alex at the Peace Corps and at the Gates Foundation, and Peter at the World Economic Forum. Now, if this all seems like we're going to be running around the podcast studio today in tinfoil hats, then please keep listening. Uh, But before we get into the meat of the security token discussion, uh, I'm going to call a minor audible today in that I'm actually interested to get your guys' take on the current severe pullback in in crypto prices and what you guys think that pretends for the broader story of digital assets. Um, So with that, uh, let's get started. Alex and Peter, uh, thanks so much for being on the Medium Rules. Welcome to the podcast studio. And uh, looking forward to what I think will be a really uh, fascinating discussion today. Great, thanks. Um, So as I said, I think I'd like to just uh, take note of what's going on in the crypto market uh, currently. Um, I looked this morning, uh, Bitcoin in the last seven days is down 19.28%, Ether 26.3%, Bitcoin Cash 32.91%, Stellar a little less so, 16.47%, and in fact, XRP is only down 6.61%, so that Stellar and and, and XRP are obviously uh, linked, EOS down 24.71%, and Litecoin down 26.86%. So, I mean, there are obviously billions of dollars um, of market cap there that have been wiped out in the last week. So continuing volatility after a relatively um, sort of stable plateau. Um, And here we are with Bitcoin about to dip below $5,000 a coin. Any thoughts, guys? Uh, Not so much why it's happening, but, but... how does that impact how you think about uh, the market for digital assets? How, how does it impact your business? Does it not? Um, what, what are you talking about and what are you hearing these days in terms of the market? Sure. So, I mean, a few things I think it's important to know that there's a really strong correlation between the price of Bitcoin and pretty much any other uh, blockchain-based token or digital asset. And so it's not like there's 30,000 different companies that are all tanking at the same time. It's really just the price of Bitcoin is tanking and the um, associated value of other things that are predicated upon the value of Bitcoin being valuable are going down in tandem, usually in a pretty close correlation. And it's actually interesting to look at which things are of a direct one-to-one kind of correlation and which things it's hard to find any with a negative correlation and those with a, you know, things that go down more than the price of Bitcoin by percentage and things that go down less and what that says about the relationship between those technologies and the core Bitcoin price value. That being said, I think that, you know, we're really thinking about the securities market, which is a, you know, hundreds of trillions of dollars valued market. And what we're talking about is a few hundred billion dollars, which is relatively insignificant relative to the value of all securities that exist. And so 
though it's interesting to watch the price move. I've been in this market for a number of years, and so it's kind of par for the course. And then B, the things that we're selling are securities related to things that already have known values or known prices in the regular world economy. And so it doesn't really matter what the price of like Ethereum token is. If I have a house that's owned, the ownership of it is represented on an Ethereum blockchain. It's still worth what a house is worth. And, um, you know, I think thinking about how to understand your wealth, whether that's in USD value or Bitcoin value as the kind of foundational currency of what things are worth is an interesting discussion. But as far as like the daily fluctuation, I don't think it really um, doesn't really impact or it's not really something I even pay that much attention to. Okay, that's great. I mean, that's interesting. Um, and, and and I guess maybe too, and, and Pete, Peter, I'll give you a chance to, to, to chime in, but, um, you know, that's going to beg the question of, of, of what is it that you do think about, which is obviously security tokens. I guess my question for you, Pete, would be, is there a negative halo effect to some extent where people associate the drop in crypto and, and the drop in coin prices and this severe pullback having a sort of a negative washover effect um, on blockchain, blockchain technology, on anything that is expressed on a distributed ledger, zero trust, um, or, or do you think that the market is sophisticated enough to make distinctions? I think the market is, well, the different underlying uh, technologies are meant to evolve. And I think if you look at those that are sort of least able to evolve and scale and keep up with, with the requirements are going to be the ones where investors are perhaps more prone to lose favor more quickly. But I think it just points to a direction where the technology has to go in terms of you know transactions per second and scalability and all these kind of things. And I would say that, uh, you know, there's just going to be constant uh, growth and renewal in the space. And, you know, what we have today might not be what we have in a year from now. I think that it's hard to really sort of take a lot of meaning from individual sort of uh, corrections or, or, you know, fluctuations in value. But I would say the overall trend is towards more development in the space. And I think we're still at a very early stage in terms of you know, we're at the Wright Brothers stage still. We're, okay. We're... Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, okay. So pick. So that. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna sort of. You'll be able to just cut this yeah, in, yeah. Ray. So. So let's take that actually, and 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 then segue into what, what I think is is the meat of what I think we want to talk about today, which is sort of explaining the security token market. Um, and let me start with you, Alex. Take a crack, and, and, and I know you've done this in media before, and, and, and you've done a great job, but I think it's helpful just to set the table for you to talk about when we talk about a security token, what is a security token and how is it distinct from Ether, Bitcoin, what people might associate with it? Because I think there's a lot of still confusion out there um, in terms of just defining these categories. Yeah. Well, I think um, to start before that, really, it's a question of asking what even is a financial security, which actually the definition of that varies from country to country and jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And there are multiple different forms of, of securities that exist. I think the things that are unifying across all of those different securities are one that it is a definition that is adjudicated by a government entity and with the ability to uh, remediate any kind of uh, errors or things that have gone outside of that uh, permitted type of behavior, uh, being able for the government to then take some kind of action to enforce whatever rules they have. And then I think B, 
um, we're talking about securities are things that have permissions built into them related to who can own and purchase them and the behavior of the way those things can function that are beyond just what any kind of token that can move around uh, to anybody uh, would typically allow for. So when I think about what a security token is, it's something that allows for both um, essentially government to take action if something fraudulent or illegal has happened outside of what they're permitting, and then B, allows for essentially permissioned types of transfer um, capabilities so that not everybody can receive or send every single type of security. Okay. Pete, take a shot. I would say it's, it's really about taking what a security is and just adding a sort of wrapper around a security to allow it to be compliance aware, essentially, and to know um, itself at the, at the security and at the wallet level who it can go to and when. And, you know, it can pay out the relevant dividend payments. There's all kinds of mechanisms that today are done by people, you know, that, that ultimately can be done more efficiently um, by a smart contract. And that's just simply code that just says that the security will pay out this dividend with this amount of frequency or the security is subject to a one-year lockup period. And after that point, it can go to a you know particular type of uh, investor, or it can, you know, if it's a non-U.S. investor, they can't the, the the security can't come back in to the country before the lockup period is expired. It's about just sort of managing the the regulations and the compliance around existing securities. So I guess to add to that, what that really requires on a technical level is that any wallet is assigned to the identity of a verified person, which isn't always done on most blockchains or most blockchain wallets, and then also allows for permissioned um, user types. So there's not just one type of wallet holder, but different people with different layers of permissions, which are um, very significant things that a lot of blockchains don't possess and are requirements to really make a security token work and also will be major requirements, I think, of making blockchain adoption in general a useful thing. So it's basically putting adoption and uh, permissioned layer types, permissioned user types onto a blockchain and then allowing for the flexibility of those things to adopt to different use cases, essentially. Right. So the, the way I sort of hear that is you've got the economic layer and then you've got the compliant identity layer and then the ability as to how the digital asset or the digital share or digital ownership is traded or tradable, including lockup, including reg S, which is the non-US buyer with respect to a US security. So all those rules, if you will, are written into a smart contract, which lives on the blockchain and then governs all aspects of how that digital asset, that digital share, that digital security uh, behaves. Is um, that? Yeah, I think is that's, that, that's, that's that sort of a useful yeah. way to think about it? Yeah. Ish? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we further confused people. I'm, 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 going, I'm going for it here. Okay. All right. So so, so we're talking about um, sort of digital, digital shares or ownership, equity ownership of some form or another, whether rev share, whether dividends, whether liquidation preference, some version of governance, uh, who can own it. And, and I think on the who can own, you have compliance written in there. So you're going to uh, make sure that the owners have to be accredited investors, maybe, if, if that's maybe, required, yep. right? Unless you've got a uh, listed security that's publicly tradable. 
Um, it's going to have KYC and AML if that's part of the jurisdictional layer or the compliance layer, um, et cetera. So I think for, for, for listeners thinking about it, you are thinking about, um, you know, a, a, a security that we might normally think of that we've dealt for years and years that just lives on the blockchain and, and is expressed through a smart contract. Maybe, maybe one way to think about it. So, so it's really, really different than Bitcoin, Ethereum, or a utility token um, that people maybe have heard of. Yeah, I think that you know when you're talking about Bitcoin or Ethereum, really what you're talking about is a system of wallets and tokens and the way those things interact and communicate with one another, as well as how new tokens are generated. And so um, what we're talking about are specific instances of those generalized systems in a way that can comply and work with uh, securities law globally. What are some uh, uh, classic use cases for security tokens? <laughs> I think it's uh, so early, it's hard to talk about classic. I think maybe, That's a, better fair. Way, That's maybe fair. a better way to talk about it is like what's feasible when things are in What's the low-hanging early, fruit? Early days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the things that make sense are, you know, one of the primary kind of value propositions of security tokens right now are to bring liquidity to things that aren't typically liquid and to appeal to a investment base that you otherwise wouldn't be able to appeal to. And so the thing that you know I'm seeing is very popular are tokenized LP shares in uh, venture capital funds. So instead of being stuck in a VC fund for seven to 10 years, you could potentially get out of one out of after just a few months, depending upon who bought it and where. Um, so that's kind of one of the low, lowest pieces of hanging fruit. A lot of people talk about real estate, though I think things that don't have an potential for some kind of exponential upside on, on as far as oh, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to take all this risk and uncertainty around this technology, I don't understand. It has to be because I think it can go up 100x. So a lot of people talk about real estate as being another kind of prime target. It makes a lot of sense for the person selling real estate and for the person that wants to sell fractionalized shares of some kind of real estate, but I'm not sure who the buyer is for that at this point when the value of real estate is going to be the value of real estate regardless of if it's on a piece of paper or a blockchain. And so the things I'm seeing that it makes mo most sense for both sides of the transaction are really uh, LP shares and venture capital funds. And I would think private equity, same, same idea. Um, and, and I know I've heard people talk about, for example, art, things like classic cars, again, asset classes that uh, typically are out of reach for most people um, and have very low liquidity, which all of a sudden you can fractionalize um, and 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 have you have you guys have you, let me let me ask you this at, Ato at Atomic Capital, what are people and and I want to get into in a little bit more about your company and 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 sort of your origin story, but what kinds of pitches and ideas are you fielding from people like from the crazy kooky to the down the middle? What what, what conversations are you having? I mean, I think people approach this space with varying degrees of uh, readiness you know in terms of they want to raise capital they have a project in you know various stages of, of readiness and so a lot of the conversations are first really based around establishing where they are in their process and you know you do have some projects that are basically you know refurbished ICOs and I think that we try to gear ourselves more towards the higher level of maturity 
projects, those that have, um, you know, assets with intrinsic value that are um, an established uh, business with a strong team. I think that it's much easier ultimately to go to investors and present them something that is backed by a strong team and revenue, right? And the, the the mechanism by which you know the investors invest in that opportunity, you know, it's it's almost incidental in many cases, right? So if it's a good opportunity, it's a good opportunity, and if you bring this additional layer of you know earlier liquidity, then that's an added bonus. But I think we try to approach this as like the, these are investments in, in, in particular opportunities and they have very attractive characteristics for investors. And, uh, you know, I think investors are going to be looking for more and more mainstream type uh, investment opportunities. I think one thing that, that the current market state of, uh, you know, crypto says to me is those that are going to participate in the security or, or the digital security space are going to be more of the traditional investors. It's not going to be the crypto whales. It's not going to be those that have you know historically speculated on cryptocurrencies. I think it's it's going through a, a growing up phase right now, which is very important. To answer your question a bit about just kind of weird stuff, I've seen talk to a group t- trying to tokenize uh, Michelangelo sculptures, uh, tokenize, I mean, there's a website called masterworks.io that's tokenizing ownership of classic works of art, Picasso, things like that, which is okay. separate group. Um, I've talked to groups trying to tokenize people's future income and the rights to some of that income and every kind of real estate thing you can imagine from equity and single asset real estate to real estate funds to insurance on real estate to real estate debt, anything you can imagine there. Um, tokenizing equity in companies is I'm pretty straightforward. Tokenizing revenue share, tokenizing revenue share with extra benefits of using the token on the platform. Um, really anything you can imagine from artwork to regular companies. That's great. So just pausing on the tokenizing somebody's future income stream. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys... Uh, Bowie Bonds. Is I was going to say, yeah. Heard of it. You guys are old enough to know about Bowie Bonds. I'm but, not, but I've heard of it. Yeah, I, 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 that was uh, right at the beginning of my career. So David Bowie actually, in effect, um, syndicated uh, through... He borrowed against his future income. Um, and it was called Bowie Bonds, and it was the first time that happened. So, um, And then I guess... Um, who was the... Arian Foster uh, then kind of sold his future income. Um, and a few actors did that and it kind of, for a moment, it looked like it would take off and it never did, but you know, maybe now this tokenization is the way for, is the idea that everyone and anyone could, or is this really celebrities or is it like, in other words, I'm graduating, I've got a Harvard, I've got a Harvard MBA. Presumably there's a market for my future income. Is that, is it as broad as that? Um, with with I mean, all its philosophical and ethical implications, which would be mind-blowing. On a technical level, it's as simple as that. I think there's like, oh, what's technically possible? And then how do you uh, enforce whatever agreement that you've made? And then see like who's the market trying to buy it? And then how do you assess risk accurately? Sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure anybody would like to sell their future income if they could get some cash up front and do something with it now. It's just how do you actually do that in a way that's meaningful and doesn't tank like you have to find someone because presumably it's an ETF, right? Presumably it's it's like a basket. Oh, it could right? be. And all of a sudden you have a thousand people 
right? That you've rolled up like mortgages. Yeah. I mean, it could work that way. Yeah. I think the, because we're both a tech developer ourselves and also are a group that has to go sell these things and has to go look people in the face and say, right. you should buy this. I think we look at it a bit different lens. Like on a technical level, yes, we could do anything. We could tokenize this microphone and say the microphone's worth a hundred dollars. So you're going to get a dollar and then you can go use that at the grocery store. But like, we also think about like, you know, the grocery store has to go along with the scheme and like, you have to be able to go collect and what happens if the microphone breaks. And so um, it's really not a question of what's technically possible. Like technically you could almost do anything you could possibly imagine, but getting someone to agree with it and adopt it in a way that's meaningful in a global marketplace is a different question. 100%, that's and then the timing of even when that is things that are going to make sense in 10 years, but could happen now, but still don't make sense as far as a business marketplace perspective. It doesn't really matter how interesting it is. Like it's not going to happen. You know, that's where the rubber hits the road because you do hear, you know, all these, you know, crazy ideas with respect to tokenization. Um, but then the flip, the, the, the other side of it is how many parties actually need to interact to make it work. Yeah, you know, and how much friction is there? Yeah, no, that's it's it's that's a that's a that's a great answer. Um, okay, so you guys have done your security token offering on behalf of XYZ Co Company. Um, I have bought security tokens of that company. Um, just the nuts and bolts of how I then can trade that, because one of the one of the big promises of, I, I think of security tokens is is greater liquidity. Tell me why that's the case. Um, presumably I've still got an unregistered security. Why is it any more liquid than a share of a company I might've bought 10 years ago of, a, of an early stage startup? Let's say if I'm tokenizing it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just turns out that a lot of what are don't require, um, you know, you can basically fall under private placement exemption rules, which means they don't have to be reporting companies to the sec. You just file some paperwork and it says, we did this thing. We're making you aware of it. Um, and we've raised money using that exemption is, really the class of things that people are targeting as this new liquidity form. Um, and the reason they can be liquid is because there are ways to legally create essentially like stock markets, but they're called ATSs, alternative trading systems, or we could just exchange them between people. It's just that prior to them being in a blockchain based or tokenized form, it was very difficult to find a, a marketplace for those things and be an efficient way for that transaction to occur. That wasn't more expensive than the thing being transacted in the first place. And because, of the immutability and the way to believe in something and what it's the way to believe that something is what it says it is because it's on a blockchain allows for a lot of the friction and expense involved with doing those kind of transactions to be significantly lower to the point where it makes sense for there to be uh, a marketplace for them. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, atomic capital. Uh, how, t tell me how you guys kind of got started, what the background is, uh, how you guys came together how your founding team came together and, 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 and then I'd like to just talk about what you guys are doing different, how you guys are, you know, innovating with your technology, with your approach. Um, what do you see as the market opportunity? But let, let's back up. Tell me about Atomic Capital. And you, you, I, I gave the intro as advisory broker dealer, investment bank. So we, I forget the exact uh, tagline we have on our website, but essentially, essentially we call ourselves a digital investment bank. Um, what it really means is we're providing both the technology and the you know regulatory status of FINRA licensed reps to go out and sell securities and take, uh, and do take it. a transactional fee. Exactly, a, a commission-based fee. Sure. Um, so 
Um, that's kind of what we are broadly. Um, what that means in practice is I think you see some groups that are the technologists that are just making things like what's possible. And then there are other groups that are trying to sell it, but don't really understand how any of it interacts with the actual technology and, or have the, really the ability to assess that because we're doing both and actually are legally on the line for doing both of those things. Um, I think we just have a kind of a knowledge and level of, um, accountability that you don't find across uh, a lot of other companies. Um, as far as I guess the other question was just how it kind of arose as a company. Well, let me let me let me uh, yes, and and maybe I'll I'll, I'll ask uh, Pete to, to talk about that. But are you guys going out and selling these offerings? In other words, do you have a presumably a a whole kind of portfolio? Por- well, no, I was going to say buyers. You've got presumably the other end of that, which is yep. You're you're out talking to people who are you know are interested in buying security tokens and who are qualified and is there a sales force what what does that look like how do i you know it's one thing to create the tokens and then it's another thing to have the technology but you've obviously got to have a market if you're if you're an investment bank right so um we number of us on the team have finra licenses series 763 um to legally go out and take a commission on the sale of securities as well as to structure those securities in the first place uh, we have a large pool, I think we've published online, that represents over $500 billion in AUM between both direct buyers, which are hedge funds, venture capital groups, private equity groups, as well as the ability to syndicate deals out to other broker-dealers and investment banks where they can go sell to their end buyers and sh- share, uh, uh, share fees on those sales of the, com- the commission. Not unlike a traditional syndicated. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, it's the same exact thing. At the end of the day, it's just money moving. Sure between different people. It's just that the ownership of something is represented in a different form. Sure. Um, so yes, we, yeah. So we all your old, it. all your old models and thinking about how investment banks market deals apply. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's pretty much the same thing. Peter, how did you get involved with, uh, tell, tell me a little bit about, about atomic capital, how long you've been around, how you guys all kind of hooked up and decided you wanted to do sure. this. And so atomic capital as a entity has existed uh, since June of this year, I think that a lot of the work and a lot of the team and a lot of the people, the relationships, the connections have existed long before that. And Alex can talk to a bit about what he was doing before Atomic. But essentially, I, I was at the World Economic Forum at the time uh, until this past, uh, until joining Atomic this past August. And what I kept seeing at the forum was a lot of talk about the need for investment in critical infrastructure for you know, future-proofing, um, you know, making the world more resilient, right? But then everyone kept coming back to this point that the way capital markets are currently structured just really does not support uh, the kind of uh, uh, capital formation and the kind of uh, investment that is that is necessary. So around this time, I, I, I really, you know, Alex and I have known each other for a few years, and when I understood what he was trying to accomplish and, and really, like, just the magnitude of the problem that uh, digital securities can address, I, you know, it it made me feel like I, you know I could be I could spend the rest of my career in an esteemed international organization talking about possible solutions or actually uh, come over and be part of building them and and actually designing the scaffolding for this new way. Of, of you know managing resources and capital that is it's absolutely critical for 
you know, the world to adapt to the changes that are coming. So for me, it was a no brainer. It was really, you know, do I spend all of my energy and, and resources and connection talking about something or put that into actually building it? Interesting. And, and, and so far so good in that regard. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really exciting. And, and what I've realized is there's a different uh, perception of time in the space. <laughs> I mean, it is a year, yeah? it's like dog years, right? So, you know, when, when talking, you know, with Alex, for example, he's been in the space since 2013. And I, I mentioned that to people that I, you know, that are familiar with the space and they're just like, since 2013, like, He's like one of the elders, like yeah. he's one of the original, like, and it's, it's, it's been five years, yeah. you know, it, it's like such a, you know, I, I think it's, it's part of a broader trend, I feel, in that when, when change, when the pace of change accelerates, I feel that, you know, we start noticing it in, in these kind of ways. You start seeing like, you know, from one year to the next, the amount of change, the amount of like um, investment flowing into a space really can be astounding. But then at the same time, there's this also this sort of reflexive action where, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it was too fast, maybe it was too much. And then you see this volatility and this pullback. And I think, you know, the broader crypto space is, is seeing this like, um, you know, this, this volatility as a result of like all that is flowing in um, in such a short period of time. What would have taken like a decade or two decades, you know, within my lifetime, frankly, and is now happening in a year, two years. It's, it's remarkable. It's, it is amazing um, how much churn you sort of sense and, and, or churning and, and like this incredible sort of creative activity, creative destruction, um, obviously the brains and the energy um, flowing into blockchain technology, you know, uh, globally um, in such a short period of time. You can't have been sort of paying attention even remotely and not notice that. It it must be pretty exciting to be a part of. But let me ask you this, Pete. You you talked about... um, you know, you, 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 you didn't want to think about it and talk about it. You wanted to be a part of this massive change that was going to address some of these things that were coming, going to be coming at us globally. Can you unpack that a little bit, um, you know, in terms of what you mean? Do you mean challenges of globalism? Do you mean challenges climate-related? In other words, what is the realignment that you would say tokenization is in part addresses. Yeah, so I think today, if you look at like the total value of, of, of all assets uh, in the world and you see, you know, what percentage of them are actually uh, securities, I think it's, you know, single digits, maybe just a few percentage points. And so you have capital that is essentially like frozen on the sidelines, but the need for uh, capital to do everything from upgrading uh, you know, municipal uh, infrastructure and, and, you know, public transport. I mean, I live on 14th Street and witnessing the the slow motion, slow moving response to Hurricane Sandy, 
right? I mean, it's now six years later, and they haven't even begin haven't even begun the major construction to to basically re, to put the L back together. Yeah, and they're going to have to shut down the L for a year and a half, probably two years, to be able to do that. And if you imagine that these broader mega trends are sort of like only know, accelerating, only accelerating more Hurricane Sandy's in you know the 2030s, you know how 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 are we possibly going to adapt? And and you know how how do we avoid everything just basically like for lack of like efficient capital allocation, everything just falling apart? And 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 tokenization promises to efficiently to free more of the capital, capital that is that exists in the world. You know, we're not creating something from nothing. Right. We're just actually putting value and providing liquidity to the existing uh, assets that are out there and, 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 you know, bring more of that online. Because it's like, you know, trying to solve these big mega trends with, you know, just a fraction of the capital that is, that is potentially out there. I mean, there's, it doesn't work. But, but okay, but, but, but. And I know this was Pete's point, Alex, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this one to you. Um, is 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 this an idea of let's say how municipalities, governments, big big infrastructure projects are capitalized? How, I'm not sure. I'm totally getting the connection as to sort of how tokenization would address, let's say, because right now, you know, for these big infrastructure projects, let's say that 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 maybe Pete's thinking about, these, these global challenges, whether they be the L train that got destroyed by Sandy or let's say it's even like global poverty, you know, which presumably, you know, with somebody from the World Economic Forum, I mean, that's something you maybe have some experience with without, without necessarily knowing that, you know, what you focused on there. But how does tokenization in that really, really meta global way how is that promising to pool capital? It, it, again, just making it pe easier for people to invest, or it, is it so inefficient right now as to how capital is pooled for well, those sorts of things? I think um, it speaks to a question of like, you know, how is basically power and money used today in the world? And, you know, why are there only massive companies that are investing into these projects? And what kind of leverage and power does that give them over dictating the way that money functions? And so, you know, part of the issue is we talk to, we've talked to um, groups that are acquiring national telecom rights, for example. It's a multi-billion dollar undertaking. And it's also very, very complicated and expensive to even understand what the opportunity is if it's really what people claim it is, if the technology they intend to use is going to work. It's, it takes months and months just to assess the opportunity, which is millions and millions of dollars by itself. And then um, if you can give the funds to put together some kind of project like that also, not many people have that money to give. And so it's only really governments, sovereign wealth funds, or very massive uh, private equity groups. And so what you end up happening, what you end up seeing is they have a ton of say over the way the terms of that deal are dictated. And somebody in that kind of relationship is not getting exactly what they want or they're compromising either the way they would go about actually executing the project or the way they would go about paying for it or where the money comes from because of the fact that there's only a few people that can even give the money and uh, can assess the opportunity. So I think the idea is that if you can open up those types of investments to a larger pool of people where perhaps there is, imagine like I'm raising money for a venture capital investment, but I actually have this pool of just retail accredited investors that 
are willing to give me the money on certain terms and not take that many rights and permissions because it's more of a retail-based sale. And then at the same time, there's a giant VC fund or like SoftBank or something that's trying to dictate terms against me when all I'm trying to do is make a business that does something in a new way. Suddenly, I have a lot more leverage over SoftBank, for example, because I have a different source and I have a different group that's pricing it in a different way and asking for different things. Additionally, the difficulty in distributing those funds over time is much more feasible so i can actually you know use a blockchain based smart contract to distribute those funds in a way that costs a lot less than keeping extensive files and having an administrator and all this paperwork being executed and trying to keep track of it all all that stuff can be basically automated and so um basically the cost of complying with securities laws distributing those funds out and getting basically a different pool of people to get involved gives me a lot more power as a business or entity or an individual over just a few basically oligopolistic oligopoly or oligarchy kind of uh, powers that can dictate, like right now today, if somebody said, hey, I have $500 million for you, do you want to take it? I want this, this, and this. Pretty much almost everyone's going to say, yes, whatever you want. Um, but there's a certain level of business and um, even government development that can be done or you know have different groups of interest, different interest groups in mind if they don't have to get the funds on such terms. Okay, that makes sense to me. Which begs the question for me as to what does governance look like generally with respect to, you know, your garden variety down the middle security token project? Is it, is it one vote per – what does that look like? And it, or does it look more like um, sort of a delegated proof of stake or what, what is governance – I'm being technical, but what does governance look like in, in, in as you guys imagine it for security token projects that you're involved with? I mean, are you talking about there's governance happening on a number of different levels, right? There's governance over the way that blockchain behaves or the rules around like almost meta governance, how you make rules about rules, and there's also governance of a specific security. And so let's say about the specific securities. Well, let's stick with security tokens and not necessarily the the meta <laughs> governance of let's say sure. the underlying blockchain. Yeah. Whether it be. But so, so, so I come to you, I want to tokenize instead of going to VCs, I'm going to, well, you, let's just say you guys, I know did, you know, and we, we first met Pete, you said we, we, we eat our own dog food. You guys raised money doing a security token offering on your platform. That's how you capitalize atomic capital. What is the governance associated with, let's say I had invested. What, what kind of governance rights do I have? Would I have had I bought? So every, atomic every security individual market. atomic token or atom token represents one share of common stock in atomic capital. Right now there are 12 million shares that have been issued and 1.2 million shares are digital security version. So every single token you have gives you one voting right, uh, one share of voting rights to the decisions made by the company. Similar to a Delaware share voting right. Vote, well, I mean, we are, it is ownership. It is we are a Delaware C Corp. And yeah. if you actually look on Ethereum, our token even says Atomic Capital Inc., Delaware C Corp, Equity, Common, One. Uh, yeah. Like it says, all those things actually okay. are listed. Right. Yep. And so, and so now extrapolating out to this big infrastructure project, like we're now building the next Hoover Dam. And we're tokenizing that because we're going to pool that capital from everyone in the country rather than, let's say, you know, borrow from the Saudis or SoftBank or whomever, right? Yep. That's a little bit of maybe the vibe I think that we're getting at here. Maybe. What would that governance look like? And, and how would that maybe be different? Yeah. Well, so 
there's governance over the way like funds are distributed and there's also governance over the way the project's executed or how vendors are selected. And so I think some of those things you don't want a million people exactly. making choices. So, exactly. you know, if we were advising a company doing something like that, we would advise them to sell some type of security that gave proxy voting rights probably to the primary management company or maybe only voting rights over certain types of very specific decisions because part of the power of having like private companies and, you know, small groups of teams managing things is they can make decisions quickly and things can get done quickly. And I don't want a seven year debate over if we should use vendor A or vendor B. And so, um, you know, whatever rules or rights make sense for that specific instance of a security, we can write into a blockchain, but it's really the same way governance is decided for any regular company. Um, we can just write that into code and enforce it that way. It could be a bond. It could be preferred share. I mean, I think all of these issues have existed in finance for hundreds of years, right? This is, we're not reinventing uh, governance necessarily, but you know, in some cases for a particular project, uh, you might just want a, you know, you, you want to issue a, a, a bond, right? And maybe that's exactly like what investors have an appetite for. In some cases, you can create different types of securities. You could do like a revenue share or, you know, some kind of hybrid thing, but ultimately there has to be appetite from investors and understanding of what exactly they're getting. Do you guys find you have to do a lot of educating? Uh, yes. These days? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like right now. Um, <laughs> I feel this is part of what we're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think absolutely. And I think a lot of the time the cases that groups think that they're ready to do this and actually are nowhere near really having considered the different you know factors that would both make this work on a technical level and also you have to understand like you can actually go sell it to somebody like it's not a theoretical exercise like we have to go find somebody to sell it or it's a giant waste of our time and money also and so um yeah there's a lot of uh work required around that stuff okay um how do you think the and, and maybe maybe this is a nice sort of way to come to come to an end of the conversation uh how do you guys see your particular part of the space evolving in other words do you anticipate there there are a number of security token platforms out there um very few that also are licensed with finra that could do that part as well there's either usually technology companies or there's companies that okay will sell okay do you anticipate sort of some of the big the big boys coming in. Have you seen any sign of, let's say, I spoke to a group Goldman. from Goldman Sachs yesterday about okay. it. Okay. Okay. So they're very interested or um, interested. Are they doing it now? In other words, are they selling security tokens in this way now? Do you, do you happen to know? Um, I don't think any of them have. I have not heard done that. that. I, yeah. I, we talked to investment banks that are, a lot of them are, you know, looking for the right one, but specifically I'm thinking of a specific company where the founders are from Goldman Sachs and have used Goldman Sachs resources to build basically an entire, this entire ecosystem supported by their existing resources. Okay. Uh, where you're talking about regular stocks and regular investments alongside uh, tokenized securities all in one place where they can trade inter interoperably. Okay. Okay. And they have, you know, have their own banking arm and they have their own custody that's insured, like all that stuff packaged up um, in one place essentially. Does that keep you up at night or do you view that as a, uh, yeah, it keeps me up. That's why we're working so hard. Um, but I think there's, you know, but like, if you look at the regular securities market today, like Goldman Sachs has all that power and they still have partners and they still syndicate deals. And so it's not like, I don't think there's gonna be one group that runs the entire world's global economy. And so 
I think it's both a place to understand that like this is a serious thing and there's serious players coming to this market and you better have something to offer beyond just like some cool ideas and be that it's a validated market that there's a real reason to be creating it and that there'll be increasing supplies of money and interest and people coming into it. And I kind of think of it like we were trying to speak to you at the beginning of this um, conversation as potentially like the quote unquote killer app of uh, a blockchain in that it forces people to put actual verified identity and actual um, verified things of value onto a blockchain in a way that can scale enough so, so much that it actually becomes useful. Cause like all the technology in the world, I always say like Facebook, like if there was only three users of Facebook, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really matter. And so a lot of it's just user adoption, regardless of the idea or how cool something is. Like it actually only starts to work when there is a network using it. Uh, and so groups like that just, and security tokens in general is the way that that's going to come to come to be, I believe. What are your, um, what, what do you guys sort of think you've got to run fastest with respect to in terms of, is it technology? Is it team? Is it reliable uh, book of buyers and investors? Um, is it um, educating and, and adoption? W w you know, to, to sort of stay ahead and be successful. What are the, what are the key drivers for you? Well, I think they're like, I think you're talking about these like individual, like companies trying to create custody and then other companies trying to create secondary markets and other companies' primary issuance. Like, I think all of those specific things are multi billion dollar businesses. And so to me, it's more just about executing on what things become executable for us. So, like, I don't have the capacity to raise a hundred billion dollars by myself today. So, I don't think that we're going to put our flag in the ground in that place. But, um, you know, just execution and showing that we can do different aspects of that um, ecosystem and um, in a way that you know complies with the law is a pretty big deal. A lot of that has to do with also having the correct legal licensing to provide those services. Sure. And so to me, it's um, just having, you know, putting things together and, you know, just showing that like, and everyone else, you know, I think you'll find that if you actually dig down into a lot of this stuff, a lot of groups are talking about it or they're claiming they can do things they're not legally allowed to do. And, we're just actually doing the thing instead of talking about it too much. Um, and uh, it's really more about, I mean, our kind of biggest challenge is just focusing where we put our time more so than it is like trying to find opportunity right now. Okay. I would add, you know, I think education is a really critical component for um, investors in particular. I think uh, you have to sort of disaggregate, you know, in the mind of investors, this, the sense of like crypto is one thing and you know that digital securities are some kind of like subset of like the crypto world and I think it's really a matter of like developing a, a level of sophistication around like well actually you know what we're talking about is multi-layered and there's the technology that underlies how some of these things can happen and then there's the applications of that particular technology and Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and Stellar are all, you know, particular instances or applications of, you know, the technology. And, and, and I think for investors to understand that, you know, what this is, is actually something that they already are familiar with. I think that's going to be really important for bringing a, you know, f for the gravity to really bring and attract the amount of capital that's right now sort of looking at other things, right? So I, th I think you have to really help people understand that they actually already know this stuff, 
right? And it's not it's not just about the technology. You know, you don't you don't really need to know that your broker dealer has a, you know, voice over IP connection or, you know, the particular type of like internet speed that they that they need to be able to like place an order for you unless you're like a high frequency trader. So it's like we have to sort of extract the discussion and, and sort of take it up at a higher level and just, you know, hey, this is this is actually understood. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Okay. Um, what what does and I asked this question and, and, and to finish off, what sort of keeps you up at night the most in, in terms of your business? What is the thing that you worry about the most? Um, I think it's to me the thing is just all the kind of noise and BS and hype and people doing things that are either illegal or just don't make sense and just marketing it really well whereas you know we go through all the hoops and hurdles of doing these things correctly and so I don't know if it keeps me up at night so much as just like frustrates me and actually when like the SEC puts out actions against fraudulent groups or the news comes out that oh it turns out like the law applies to things that actually is just for the validation of of what we're doing and actually kind of is a nice thing because um we have a lot of those boxes checked. Um, so it's really just like how to be, you know, just continue to move forward while I guess, yeah. I mean, to answer your question, I think it's just making sure that at some point that, you know, people can, there's some point where people can have to differ between what's just hype and what's the real deal. Okay. What do you, what do you do about custody? Do, do you guys? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I think there are a number of groups that, either claim they provide custody or they claim they provide insurance on custody or they're qualified custodians. And if you really look digging down into the SEC definition of things and what people consider insurance to be, it doesn't really exist. And so uh, right now we provide, like people can keep custody themselves of securities. Uh, like a nano S or something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly. And um, we're... Do you have a solution? Do you have your own proprietary solution, or do you have a? We have a. I've developed party. the technology for it, but I think if you can't provide, the problem is there's not reasonable insurance. I've talked to AIG. I've talked to a lot of groups that they don't understand how to assess the risk of it. They don't understand the technology, and so they won't provide insurance at a rate that's anywhere near reasonable. So it doesn't really exist. Uh, so and I can't insure billions of dollars of uh, digital assets, and so I can't do it by myself. Um, but there are companies out there making money providing qualified custodian services when by the de- definition of any institution, there's not, no such thing exists today. Um, and if it's not insured, it's not really very meaningful. And so, in fact, like I don't think the tech part of it is really that complicated. I think companies make a business out of making it sound complicated, but no institution would ever engage in it. And so it doesn't really exist. Okay. Okay. Well, guys, thank you. Uh, thanks so much. This has been extremely informational and as I anticipated it would be very interesting um, and uh, I think we covered a lot of ground um, would really look forward to watching the market um, seeing you guys how you guys do and, and having you back great great well, thanks thanks guys thanks Pete